Today's episode is sponsored by Tigo. For most of us, indemnity insurance is one of our biggest costs of practice. But when was the last time you took a look at the coverage and compared your premium with others? Many of us are still with the same insurer we joined in med school or intern year. Thousands of doctors have made the switch to Tigo and benefited from their personalised approach to pricing. You will also get an extra two months free in your first year. If you are new to private practice, you might even qualify for four years of discounted premiums. Tigo offers competitive premiums, quality cover and 24-7 support backed by top medico legal advisors. Get a free quote and discover why thousands of doctors are insured by Tigo by visiting tigo.com.au. Hello listeners and welcome to Deep Breaths, a podcast covering topics related to the Part 2 anaesthetic exam. I'm Dr. Kate Steele and I'm Dr. Kate McCrossan and today's episode is How Do I Breathe Part 3 where we'll discuss airway scenarios with special guest Dr. Nadia Vargas. As always in this podcast we represent our own views and not those of our employers or ANSCA. So we're back again. Thank you so much for joining us again Nadia. Let's let's power through. Glad to be here. Excellent. So let's move on to another scenario. This is scenario number four. You are called to assist a colleague who has had three failed attempts at intubating a 64-year-old female patient for a laparoscopic hemicolectomy. Bag mask ventilation was difficult, although not impossible, and now your colleague is able to ventilate via a laryngeal mask airway, an eye gel size three. What is your approach here? Right. So obviously trying to remain calm, not adding to the colleague's stress and trying to get a bit more information and also in terms of non-technical factors, seeing whether they want to lead or they want someone to take over or do like a co-leadership thing. And for the moment, as I see it, um, we seem to be in a relative zone of safety because we've got an LMA and we're ventilating through it. So on the vortex algorithm, if you think about the green zones, mm. which could be either the tube, the LMA or bag mass ventilation, we're probably okay where we are for now, but we need to anticipate that this could potentially get worse. We had a couple of attempts, the mm. airway might swell up, it mm. might get impossible at some point to ventilate her through the LMA. Mm. So we should prepare for the worst case scenario. So while you talk to the colleagues about what adjuncts did they have to use for the bag mass ventilation, how many attempts at laryngoscopy did they have and what did they use, um, you might also call for uh, extra help. So I'm thinking probably at least another two anaesthetic assistants mm. plus a difficult airway trolley and, and a setup if it's not on the difficult airway trolley with a, a fiber optic scope just mm. in case. And so I wouldn't necessarily rush to rip the LMA out right now mm. because um, why you could always argue, yes, a video laryngoscope will get me out of any trouble. <laughs> <laughs> it might not necessarily be the case. And it'd be really important to get the information from your colleague as to what they could see. Was it completely impossible? Did they not see anything? Mm. Or, or did they have a little bit of a view or could you kind of guess where it was and it might be worthwhile having an attempt with a bougie? Obviously, past history, have they had surgery before? What kind of airway were they then? Why do we think if they were previously easy, have they changed? And where does the pathology sit? So if we think about the airway in a structured way, we think about the anterior, middle and posterior column. Mm. And um, has anything in those three columns changed that might make life now harder for us? 
Again, in this case, currently they're ventilating, but as we're preparing for the worst case scenario, you should probably find out if there's an ENT surgeon or MaxVac surgeon capable of doing a rescue airway, or maybe just a, another senior colleague to do a cricothyroidotomy, because it's going to be quite hard if you focus on uh, attempting an oral airway to actually get yourself to stop those attempts and then Mm. commit to obtaining a front of neck access. Mm. So I think the psychological barrier is uh, one of the hardest in that. So that's why I find it's easiest to outsource that to one person whose only job then is to just think about that. Mm, That's good advice. And and pick the appropriate time to, you know, if you get task fixation to kind of go – hang on, we've got given this enough of a go now, yeah. we need to do something mm. and then do it. Mm. Another uh, thing to consider is also that while this is necessary surgery, it's not mm. urgent surgery. She doesn't have to have this done today yeah. and now. So you might even attempt to not make anything worse in this airway and just reverse her and try and wake her up while yeah. she's ventilating on the LMA and then either reassess her or doing a wake fiber optic, or even have a rescheduled. You also got to think about don't put yourself or your colleagues too much under pressure. Like it can be very confronting and very scary to be mm. in such a case where the one thing you're meant to be an expert on, you all of a sudden can't perform. So mm. it might not be nice to then leave that onto your colleague to say, oh, now do a wake fiber optic mm. for her because she was so impossible. Mm. It might be better for everyone if she just gets rescheduled and gets a brand new team. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I think it's, it's, I'd always try to, um, to like verbalize the whole you know we can wake them up just to kind of remind myself and to let the team know that that's acceptable and sometimes I also have like a couple of big vials of sigamidex sitting around which kind of you know I have if I have used rock reminds me that that's an option as well so yeah that sounds good so say we decide to try to use this LMA to intubate her and everyone's feeling kind of calm and happy uh, what would you suggest? Again, optimize your starting conditions. So because we don't know where this is going to go, you want to on 100%, fully sedated, no risk of awareness and paralyzed. And again, while you task someone with maybe doing the front of neck access, have that same person set up for some quick reversal where if we do decide to pull out and wake up, we have at least reversal of the paralysis and, uh, and making sure the sedation is appropriate and not too long lasting. If we do decide, and I would personally decide to leave the LMA in because don't try and fix what's not broken. So then the next step would be to use the fiber optic entry technique. So an entry catheter is a a blue-colored hollow 56-centimeter-long catheter, and its main benefit is that it's hollow, so you can fit a, a bronchoscope or fiber optic scope through it. It also has an adapter that you could oxygenate through if you Mm. needed to. And those are pretty much its main benefits. Its disadvantage is that it's a little bit short. Mm. So if you do use it to exchange a tube or exchange from an LMA to a tube, often your problem is that you have to get your hands really deep into the patient's mouth in order to not have it accidentally fall out of the airway because you're handling about four centimeters at mm. the tip, which mm. is the, the the distance you can play with, and that is quite short. If you think about the Cook Airway Exchange catheters, they're much longer, but they're obviously not hollow and they're way too floppy, so they probably can't help us in this situation. 
So what you then do is you set up your fiber optic scope and for the entry, because of its internal diameter, it's going to have to be a slim disposable scope if you use that or a pediatric scope if you okay. use the reusable fiber optics. None of the others will fit over it. And you want a snug fit as well, because as mentioned before, that just makes everything easier in terms of railroading. Mm. And you can again put a swivel Y catheter to your circuit so that you can, you just obviously increase your flows, but that way you can manipulate around the airway without having to disconnect the circuit mm. every time. Mm. And then you go down with your fiber optic in the entry. And um, ideally, you visualize the vocal cords when you come out of the LMA, if the LMA is seated appropriately. You can also get a bit of an idea. Is there a lot of swelling? Is there a lot of blood? Is there a blood clot just sitting yeah, <laughs> on the vocal yeah. cords? And then you will pass the fiber optic through the vocal cords together with the entry. And the entry is what stays in the airway. Okay. But uh, obviously, the fiber optic, I would still keep to double check your tube at the end of it. Because as we've discussed, it is, while it's a very neat, nice device to use, it is quite short. Mm. And, and so it can be a bit of a fiddly technique with a risk of mm. it falling out. So there's two options as well. You can, if you're really worried, and this is an absolutely temporizing measure, you can leave the LMA in. However, with a size-free LMA, even though it's an eye gel, you're probably only going to be able to fit a size 6 tube through it yeah, okay. if you leave it all together. And so I personally would probably try and get the LMA out. Mm. And this is the point where it's really important that you get your finger, your hands in the patient's mouth mm. and you keep the entry mm. as deep and close to the hypopharynx as possible, when, mm. particularly when the LMA comes out. And then uh, by that point, you could fit a size 7 or 7.5 over the entry and I would normally then use a video laryngoscope just to get the tongue and the anterior column mm. out of the way and mm. help you railroad the tube because it can still get stuck on all the soft tissue around it and once you've successfully passed the tube you get CO2 ideally your circuit maybe still has the swivel white connector on it I would quickly pass the fiber optic through the oral tube as well just mm. to first of all check how far you away you are you from the carina but mm. also from the traumatic attempts before is there any blood that's gotten into yeah, that's good um, the trachea mm. or anything that potentially could give you trouble when you embark on this fairly long case the mm. right hemicolectomy and you don't want to run into obstruction, ventilation mm. problems, high airway pressures, anything like that later. Mm. It sounds like a neat little technique that's worth trying for someone that you have managed to rescue with an LMA and then you want to see if you can press on. But I think, as you point out, the non-technicals are really important, so getting some help. Because often, too, your hands are tight. Like you, get a bit, you can get a bit shaky in your hands from tiredness in your hands. And sometimes if you've got an adrenaline rush as well going on, uh, it's good to hand over the procedural element to somebody else under these circumstances. Mm. Yeah, yeah I, think, I think it's also, if it's your case, um, getting task fixated is a big issue because yeah. you get so focused on, I do this every day, I should be able to do mm. this. Yeah. Why is this not working today? We can be our own worst enemies in that respect, can't we? Mm. A little bit, yeah. Mm. And um, yeah, and so with the fibre optic, I think it's, it's a good tip because it's so easy to do at the end of um, you successfully mm. achieving the airway. But I also remember a case where they did a nasal tube in the emergency theatre and they must have, and we didn't realise that until later, but the nasal tube took out one of the conche, the middle conche. Ooh. And so it came down into the airway with a bit of cartilage at the tip. 
And so despite it being a straightforward mm. airway, grade one intubation, we all saw the nasal tube go down. There was no ventilation possible because the mm. tube was obstructed from the cartilage. Mm. And we had to pull out again. And so anyway, that happened twice. So then when we pulled out the tube, we saw that the cartilage was obstructing the lumen of the tube. Mm. So we tried to, and by that point, obviously we had torrential nosebleeds. Yeah. And we then ended up putting just an oral tube in to s- protect the airway, do lots of suction, use mm. lots of cofenocaine. But despite all that, a little bit of blood had still managed its way into the airway. Yeah. And so before we started the case, we then wanted to clear the blood of the airway. Mm. And we ended up using one of the fiber optics that the thoracic surgeons use because it has a working channel because it can be quite tricky. If it's not blood, you can suction and Mm. it's a clot, but the clot doesn't really, Mm. like there's nothing to take the clot out with it. Mm. So it was a big problem. But yeah, I'd never seen anything before or after no, like that because no. it just took the entire cartilage wow. with it. It's like a DIY fest really, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, so look, we'll move on to scenario number five. You were doing an ENT list and there is a 68-year-old male patient booked for a laser excision of a laryngeal papilloma. So what are your considerations for laser surgery of the airway in general? Right. So laser is a favorite topic in SAQs Mm, and Vivas, and probably a bit more SAQs because they love you to rattle off the definition, the Mm. light amplification by stimulated emission of radiation. Mm. Um, And it's really important to remember that there's lots of different laser types they can use. Most commonly, the CO2 laser is probably Mm. used in ENT. And you'd obviously have a proper team huddle with your surgeons before you start anything and for most of these laser cases using a laser endotracheal tube is probably the easiest they're particularly designed to cope with laser to decrease the risk of airway fire to be flexible almost like the reinforced one but also to be very small and slim and long like the MLTs Mm. they normally come with two cuffs So you should put normal saline in them, ideally, Mm. to not further increase the risk of airway fire. And then typically it was meant to have methylene blue Mm. in the proximal one. So in case of a rupture from the laser or instrumentation, you could see the blue dye and Mm. it would be a reminder that this cuff's not working now. Mm. And there's also... um, an MCQ that always asks with which cuff to inflate first. <laughs> and ideally, you inflate the distal one first so you know mm. you can ventilate through that one mm. should the proximal one rupture. And it can be quite tricky in laser cases. So I advocate for laser tubes as well, particularly when they're doing tumours because tumours mm. can be quite bulky and bloody. Mm. And uh, no matter how well your spawn breathing technique works, that is a real risk that then you're either going to contaminate the airway or mm. you're going to have a huge obstruction or desaturation at some point. Mm. And as just touched on before, if you use laser with a high-flow nasal prong spawn breathing technique, the problem you run into is your FI2 because you, you will always, if you're in a deep enough plane of anesthesia, their breaths will be very shallow and they will need the extra flow and the extra oxygen. 
There is, however, particular areas, so directly on the vocal cords, which could be in this case with the papillomas or posteriorly, it can be quite tricky for them to work around a tube mm. and that and those are the areas where they might insist mm. on a tubeless technique yeah, yeah. Mm. so having a good discussion with the surgeons and selecting the right patient is important and we have done it in the past where they were very insistent on spawn breathing and uh, before they even did any surgical manipulation for, to the patient our sets were already 92 percent mm. on the high flow technique with mm. the spawn breathing mm. technique and we abandoned because I knew this wasn't going to work, particularly yeah. should we then further decrease the FI2 yeah. from 100% to 0.3, mm. yeah. um, that, that patient would have been in the low 80s at yeah. least. Yeah, that's unpleasant. Laser is done in the suspension laryngoscopy mm. and that has implications for how you position your patient. Again, even if you do use a laser tube, most likely you probably use a TIVA-type technique. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to ask that, actually. Yeah. yeah. Mm. And you won't have that much access to the airway. And then the laser also needs a certain angle because it just comes in straight. So yeah. that some of that can be changed with different suspension laryngoscopes. So they have mm. hyperangulated ones as well, if yeah. it's a, anything above a grade 2B, grade 3 airway. Yeah. But you get to a point where you would have to bend your laser yeah. <laughs> to actually reach the lesion. Oh, gosh. Um, and so it's, it has a bit of a limit in terms of how difficult the patient's yeah. airway can be for them to use it. And obviously, you need to follow all the usual laser safety precautions. You need to have a laser safety officer in there, which is normally one of the scrub nurses. You have to have the right protective eyeglasses there and signs and outside the theater and keeping the theater closed and minimize staff in the room and make sure no one can just barge in from outside to accidentally be exposed to the laser it also needs to be tested so that's when all the ENT registrars initial themselves into some poor piece of wood (laughs) (laughs) and it often can be a bit of a limiting factor, the laser safety officers, because I don't think there's that many. And then I find it helpful, again, to have a memory aid, um, mm. particularly because it's not something that happens very common. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a team that always does it together. And then it helps at the timeout if you maybe briefly talk about what's there mm. to protect the patient in the mm. case of an airway fire as the bare minimum. Mm. So always have at least a litre of sterile saline with the scrub nurses. Have the patient's face covered with wet gauze. You're going to have to, particularly if you do spawn breathing, there's going to be really close communication between your surgeon and yourself because the laser needs a little bit of time to warm up before Mm. it will start lasering Mm. and um, you're going to have to have time to decrease your FI2 and then if you're doing a spawn breathing technique most likely at some point they will have to stop and you have to give the patient a breather and increase the FI2 for a little bit and it always makes me uncomfortable because there's no good way of measuring what the actual FI2 down there at the laryngeal Mm. inlet is actually going to be because you're bringing their sets up with increasing the FI2 and that's not going to go away just because you dialed the blender down and I think that's probably also where that recommendation is coming from with the high flow nasal prongs not being recommended for laser. Mm. Remember that papillomas 
uh, when when they get lasered, aerosolized, and yes. so they can potentially contaminate mm. you. It's not so much an issue these days where everyone's wearing N95 masks. Yeah, <laughs> true, true. Constantly protected. But um, it, it used to be in the past and some people were allowed to not wear masks. Mm. And, and then, again, talk through with your anesthetic team about what you would do if they yell airway fire because what they're going to do is they're going to empty that one liter of sterile saline yeah and you're going to have to immediately turn off your oxygen circuit and remove the tube Mm. and there's always a bit of a discussion about what if it's a really difficult airway Mm. and you then lose the airway entirely but you cannot leave because, as we've discussed, the FI2 down there is going to be a mix of everything mm. and you cannot allow them to burn their airway any further. Mm. They're probably going to have sequelae from that anyway. Yeah. And you have an ENT surgeon there with you. So the next thing ha- then has to be to just do an emergency cricothyroidotomy yeah. or tracheostomy if they're that impossible mm. yeah. to intubate. Yeah. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, hopefully none of us ever have to deal with an airway fire but there's always a possibility I suppose mm. Need to, are you going to do laser? Mm. Mm. I have taken care of a patient once who'd previously mm. had an airway fire and to be honest when we intubated him I had no idea what to expect when we looked down mm. and did laryngoscopy ironically I mean you would never have known but for the fact that he said he'd had an airway fire during mm. an ENT procedure but it just geez it gave me pause before I induced this man it was a bit um because you just don't know and I've I'm, look, I don't do a lot of ENT and I, I'm very, very pleased to say I've never experienced an airway fire, but it's it's one of a list of about five or six different things which as anaesthetists can just give us nightmares. Mm. It's That's the things that nightmares are made of. It's mm. oh, did, did you have any strictures or anything that... No, no nothing. No. And the airway fire had been about maybe 15 or 20 years prior, so oh, a long yeah. period of time had passed and since then this patient hadn't had any additional sort of airway procedures or anything like that so I yeah I just legitimately had no idea what to expect I mean it sounds like they spent a fair bit of time in hospital at at around the time that this occurred initially but but nothing since Mm -hmm. then but yeah nothing we didn't have any issues we had a range of tube sizes ready to go and it was all very unexciting which is exactly the way we like it so (laughs) So this is actually hard to believe, but we've managed to run out of time again with our Airways episode. So for all of our listeners, thank you so much for joining us on a fantastic discussion on deep breaths. Don't forget to claim CPD if you're a provisional fellow or consultant. And if you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, you can get in touch with us at deepbreathspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you can join us next time on Deep Breaths.